But I don't know, my approach to business is that, you know, you can, should always really be looking forward because it doesn't matter the deal that you just closed. Like if you don't have anything in the pipeline and anything in the future, you're really not setting yourself up for success. When I set my sights on a race to run and a time to beat, I also start to create a training plan. I have to consider the distance I'm running, the conditions of the race, the field I'll be competing against, and the speed I want to hit. Then, week by week, I can start to lay out my program. The easy runs for mileage, the long runs for distance, the speed work and strength training to get faster. I keep my eye on my paces, whether I hit my weekly mileage goals, and how much weight on the bar I'm adding while I train. The truth is that I know I can't really control the outcome of the race until it's race day, but I can measure my results little by little as I work my plan. When it comes to racing, I'm pretty disciplined at working my plan and eventually hitting my goals. But this isn't a running podcast. It's What Works, a podcast about how small businesses really work as told by the people who run them. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Unfortunately, I'm not nearly so disciplined when I'm setting goals and working plans in my business. I'm working at it, but I just love looking at the big picture. My guest today has made balancing goal setting, tracking metrics, and managing her team to success a thing of beauty. Her name is Jessica Fiakovich, and she's a serial entrepreneur and currently the president of Transworld Business Advisors Rocky Mountain Region. Jessica specializes in helping small business owners get their businesses ready for sale and helps buyers find the businesses they want to buy. Jessica has put a lot of intention and energy into creating a goal setting, planning, and tracking system that delivers big time results and doesn't monopolize her time as a leader. We chat about how Jessica and her team members set goals, what metrics they're tracking to ensure those goals are met, and how her goal-setting approach has evolved the longer she's been in business. Plus, you'll find out Jessica's important perspective on where a business fits into your life. Now, let's find out what works for Jessica Fiakovich. Jessica Fiakovich, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Tara. I really appreciate being on the show. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to dive into how you and your team track your goals and manage your progress. Because, you know, like we were just saying, you've got a lot on your plate, uh, as do I think all entrepreneurs and small business owners. Um, But I want to give listeners a little bit of context first so they understand some of the things that you have on your plate. Can you give us an idea of what an average week looks like for you, if there is such a thing? Yeah. (laughs) You know what? It's hard because I don't know if there's an average week. But, you know, so my role, I own um, Transworld Business Advisors in the Rocky Mountain region. We're a business brokerage firm. So my major part of my week is running that company. um, And I run the strategy of the company, the growth. I also oversee our support staff and I do some recruiting um, for our team too. So my average week has like a little bit of all of that in there. Um, You know, on top of that, I'm an investor in a couple of different companies, including my sister's um, company, Mod Assistance, which is a personal assistant company. So I usually spend about a week or an hour a week on the phone with her, um, just talking about strategy and what the growth of the company is going to look like and any type of support she needs. Um, And then I'm also, I'm really passionate about giving back to the entrepreneurial community. So I sit on a number of boards. So I'd say I spend probably somewhere between two to five hours a week in the nonprofit world and mentoring, um, you know, future entrepreneurs and growing entrepreneurs as well. But overall, like it's a lot of meetings. Um, it's, you know, getting as much work as I can done, like actual work in the few hours I have to myself at my desk. Um, there's a lot of networking events and dinners and all that kind of stuff too. 
Yeah. So what does that actual work look like for you? Is it, um, you know, are you pouring over spreadsheets? What are you doing in that time that you're actually sitting at your desk and not in meetings? Yeah. I mean, some of it's administrative, which we all have to do, right? Like, so there's, there's an element of just answering the hundreds of emails that come in every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, like a recent project that I was just working on is, is we're looking to increase the size of our sales team next year. So I was doing some research by combining all of their resumes together and looking if there was any overlap in their skill sets or background and history so that when I go to the marketplace to look for new salespeople, I'm more strategic about who I'm recruiting. So that was a big project I worked on last week. Um, you know, this week it's kind of translating that and saying like, all right, now I have this basic like demographic profile or, you know, um, of the, of the people I'm searching for, how do I use marketing to my benefit to find those people? Um, and then ultimately taking that to my team and having them execute it. But so it's a lot of research that I'm doing. Um, sometimes it's pouring over spreadsheets. Um, sometimes it's just reading industry news and seeing what's going on in our industry or in, in our economy. Um, but it's more of that project type things. Gotcha. That's a great example. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, all right, let's look a little bit closer at, at goal setting now. Um, I imagine that both in your own company and in the companies that you invest in and probably on the boards that you sit in as well, a big part of your job is either setting goals or helping other people set goals. How do you personally establish goals for your company? So for our company, we use a bottom-up approach, and I'm sure we'll talk about how our team members get involved. But um, So right now, we're actually going through strategic planning and setting goals for 2019 because we like to have those um, set before the end of the year. Um, so what I'll do is I'll take a look at all of my team's goals individually, and then I'll roll them up into overall company goals. Um, so we'll usually establish, I'd say somewhere between, um, three to five goals for the year. And then we usually establish an overall theme too. So, you know, in business brokerage, we help both buyers and sellers, and we've already established our theme for 2019 is, you know, take care of the buyers. And that's just because that's, I think an area where we really can improve. Um, so that's that's kind of our process for it. So right now, everyone's finishing out their individual plans. I'll get all of those by the end of the month, and then I'll summarize them into one company document um, that's distributed to the whole team, um, and then we'll keep that updated on a quarterly basis. Beautiful. Let's talk ex- about exactly what you said, which is how you get your team members involved in this goal setting process. Can you walk us through the process that you use to empower them to set goals for themselves and the areas of the business that they're responsible for? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I'm fortunate because, um, you know, mo- most of my team members are in sales and salespeople are very goal oriented and driven to begin with. Um, so what I do is um, I-, I talk to them about them running their own mini business underneath our business, right? So as as much as we do well, as long as their business is increasing, they're going to do well as well. Like their financial rewards are tied directly to their goals and performance. Um, and then my role is really to support them in those goals. So we have, um, we usually have a a quarterly kickoff, which we did last week, actually is good timing. Um, and we talk about, you know, this theme that we're thinking of, you know, the take care of the buyers theme and how they can translate that into their plan for the next year. 
And we use a, a simple, very one-page template, um, and my team members can expand it or contract it however much they need. But again, has three to five metrics on there, like what is their you know gross commission goal? How many deals do they want to close? Is there a specific industry or niche that they want to specialize in next year? Um, and then ultimately, one of our biggest core values is learn and grow. So how do they plan to learn and personally develop over the next year? Gotcha. Do you, and I totally get how that works with, with the salespeople on your team. And I also totally understand that a lot of your team is salespeople, but I'm assuming you've got some admin, maybe some finance people in there. How, how does the process differ for them or, or, you know, how are they involved in helping you set goals for the company? Yeah. So it's a little bit different. So, um, I'll, I'll use, uh, my marketing and ops, um, team members as an example. So we'll sit down on a one-to-one basis. And first we'll start by talking about like, what's gone really well last, list this year and what's like our ultimate goal for next year. So like in marketing, it's efficiency. So efficiency and consistency. So we want to be more efficient with our marketing dollars and we want to develop consistent leads for the team. So with those two kind of overarching goals in mind, my marketing manager will go back and build her plan um, from a tactical and a little bit strategic basis. Um, and then on the operations, the same thing as efficiency. As we continue to grow as an organization, we want to have lower overhead per employee from a percentage basis so we can continue to add more people. So she's going back and building a plan of how can we take our operations and office resources and get more money for or more effect for each dollar, right? So more bang for our buck. Um, so they'll each build their own individual plans, which also include budgets, um, and then present them to me at the end of the month too, to roll up into that overarching plan and their performance. Um, so like their bonuses and things like that are actually tied to that plan, um, which is really nice too, because they're designing the plans themselves, obviously with my approval, but then they're bought into the plan they've designed. So, you know, having their bonus tied to it. It makes them more incentivized to accomplish those goals. That's awesome. I love that. And I, I love the detail that you've shared as well. Um, okay, so I think we have a better understanding of how your goal setting process works. Let's talk about how you track your progress towards those goals. Um, I I love that, you, like you said, you're getting buy-in from your team members from the moment they put their own goals on paper, right? Because they're right. their goals. They're not your goals. Um, but how do you make sure that people are are, in fact, staying on track. I mean, I think even with those those goals that we own or those goals that we ourselves are excited about, it can still be easy to get distracted or to maybe take it a little easy and, and miss the mark on your goals. What are you doing from a management perspective to make sure that progress is you know, being made and that you're on track to hit the goals that have been set? Right. Yeah. And so to be honest, we struggled with that for a few years and we were introduced to this operational system called um, EOS traction or the entrepreneur's operational system. So, um, and what it is, is just basically a, a way to set goals and track progress in your business and for planning. So we implemented that about two years ago. And so for tracking, what we do is from a leadership team perspective, we get together once a week um, for 90 minutes and we have a scorecard that we review. And those scorecard metrics are tied directly back to our annual plans. Um, so we just have to go through them one by one, on track, off track. 
if something's off track to hit the goal in the time that we set for it, then we talk about it and we, we call it like an IDS or, you know, identify, discuss and solve the issue of why that goal is off track. Um, you know, if it's off track one week, maybe we won't worry about it as much. But if we see a trend with the goal being off track two, three, four weeks, that's something that we have to tackle. Um, and then some of those goals that don't have like a, a, it's more project based, right? So it's not a direct metric that you can tie to it. We break those down into quarterly projects and we call those rocks. So, you know, say we were, um, last year we were implementing a new website and a new CRM system. So instead of just saying like implement the new website, we actually broke the website project down into quarterly rocks. Um, and then we would do the same thing in our leadership team meeting of saying, Hey, you know, is the, um, website, you know, ready for beta, like on track, off track. And whoever was owning that goal or responsible for that goal would report on its status. Um, so we do that every week for 90 minutes with our leadership team. And then we do a similar, I'd say more simplified version um, with a scorecard and metrics with our sales team every week in their meeting as well. Gotcha. Can you say a little bit more about the scorecard itself? What are some of the metrics that you have on there right now? Yeah. So they're very, you know, they're specific to our business, but I think, you know, every, every business is specific. So like, um, an indicator for me is how many active salespeople do we have? So that's my, my, that's the metric I own on the scorecard. Um, we also look at incoming leads. Um, we look at the number of clients that we have. We look at, um, what our average pipeline looks like. So clients that haven't activated yet to the point, but what does that pipeline look like? Um, we also, from a, a marketing perspective, besides new leads, we'll look at um, speaking and presentations is a big lead generator for us. So we'll look mm -hmm. at how many speaking engagements that we had that week. Um, so th there's that kind of stuff. And some roles, I think, lean more towards metrics than others. Like my operations team doesn't have a lot of you know, scorecard metrics that they're responsible for, but they have a lot of those quarterly rocks or projects. So it, it kind of goes both ways. Gotcha. It sounds like a lot of the metrics that you're looking at are sort of more on that leading indicator side. You're not necessarily tracking, or, or I'm sure you are, but it looks mm -hmm. like you're, you're not necessarily focused on things like revenue. You know, this is the amount of revenue that's come in through the month. This is the amount of deals that we've closed this month. You're looking at things that happened before that. Can you explain the the difference there and why you choose to focus so much on those leading indicators? Yeah. So, I mean, we do like the only actually lagging indicator we have on our scorecard is weekly revenue. Um, okay. And then we will review the lagging um, on a quarterly basis or my husband, who's my business partner and I sit down and have a financial meeting every month where we go through our P&L and stuff. But I don't know, my approach to business is that, you know, you could, should always really be looking forward because it doesn't matter the deal that you just closed. Like if you don't have anything in the pipeline and anything in the future, you're really not setting yourself up for success. Right. So, um, one of my mentors said to me once that there's a reason that the windshield is bigger than the rear view mirror. And it's not <laughs> that like you shouldn't look behind you. Right. But your focus should always be to the future and how to improve and how to do more. And that's been my approach to business and, and really in our business, because some of our sales cycles are so long, if we're not watching those leading indicators, we could really set ourselves up for some big problems, six, 12, 18 months down the road. If we don't have our eye on that. Yeah, absolutely. I love that analogy too. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a great one, right? We'll hear more from Jessica after a quick break. I pay the co-commercial team and myself with gusto. Now you might be thinking, I'm not ready for a payroll provider. 
I was in the same boat when I started with Gusto. Gusto gave me the confidence to hire both contractors and employees, and they've made it easy to stay compliant, offer great benefits, and keep me in control of our money. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes, guides you and educates you along the way, and takes the guesswork out of taking care of your team. We love Gusto and we think you might too. Test it out and get three months free at gusto.com slash what works. That's gusto.com slash what works. Mighty Networks powers brands and businesses like yours that bring people together. Gearing up to launch a website or blog in 2019? Here's a better idea. Build an online brand that brings people together. Until recently, online business owners like us had to use an array of different platforms, all with separate audiences to build our brands. One platform for courses, another for events, another for your content, and yet another for your community. Not only do none of these platforms work together, but forget about mobile, where we all know people are spending the majority of their time today. At Co-Commercial, we face the same challenge until we found Mighty Networks. With the Mighty Network, online business owners just like you can bring all their business assets together in one place. Your website, your content, your courses, your community, your events, online and off, and you can charge for them, all while building your brand. The best part? When you're ready, you can upgrade to roll all of these features into your own native mobile app under your brand. It's like having your own Silicon Valley startup behind you with none of the headaches. Also, it's totally free to get started. At Co-Commercial, we use Mighty Networks to bring together our interactive learning experiences, community roundtables, events, conversations, and behind-the-scenes content all in one place. Visit MightyNetworks.com to see more examples of brands bringing people together via events, classes, memberships, content, and more. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. So I know that you have sold several companies or a couple of companies in your your history before you started with Transworld Advisors. Um, how has your approach, your philosophy to goal setting and tracking your progress changed from those earlier ventures to where you are right now? I think I've gotten a lot more thoughtful and analytical. So like early in my career and with some of our first businesses, like, you know, my plan was just like, what do I feel like doing next year? Or, you know, what do I think is going to grow the business? And at, at this point, I'm much more, like I said, analytical and numbers focused of like, all right, show me the results that have worked in the past and let's amplify those in the future. And let's track everything. I never tracked anything before. And, and in some regards, I look back at it and I was like, I kind of got lucky, right? <laughs> so, um, and, and I think like I see a lot of young entrepreneurs do the same thing. So I don't fault myself. Like I was 24 when I started my first company. So there's learning experiences. Um, but yeah, I've gotten much more focused and much more analytical in terms of goal setting and tracking. Um, and I've also got a lot more realistic, you know, like, I, you know, I would still back then I'd say, well, I think I can double or triple the size of my business every year. And now looking at my business and, and, and looking at the history, I know like that's not feasible every year, right? Maybe when you're first starting up, it's feasible, but there's a lot of work in that, that goes into doubling or tripling. So I, I try and be realistic with my goal setting and not so like head in the clouds. 
I'm really glad that you brought up the idea of setting realistic goals, because that's a question that I often get is, well, Tara, is this goal realistic? Can I even do this? I ask myself, Tara, can you do this? Is this a realistic goal for you to set for yourself? Um, So I'm curious how you have decided to define what a realistic goal is. And maybe you can even speak to that in regards to how you talk to your team about realistic goals. How do you coach a team member on a goal that may be a little outside or maybe very outside of what's realistic? Um, And how do you, and on the flip side, how do you get someone to come up to what is a very realistic goal, but maybe feels like a stretch for them? Right. Yeah. So it's interesting. So like with working with my team, what I've realized is most, most of my team is dismotivated for far reaching goals, right? Mm -hmm. There are members of my team, uh, my husband being one of them that like, he doesn't like realistic goals, right? He likes to have those stretch goals and that's what's really drives and motivates them him. So I, I try and kind of cater it to each person, um, because I want them to be motivated by the goal and not dismotivated by the goal. Um, but that being said, like when, like when I get everybody's individual plans back, I do have like a reality check with everyone. And as much as we look forward and in our planning, I do think the past is a good indicator of future performance. So if a team member came to me and they like, you know, last this year, they grew their book of business by 30% and next year they want to grow by a hundred percent. I don't try and squash that goal, but I say, okay, great. What's going to change in the future to make this possible? Because if we're going to just do the same activities we did last year, we're not going to end up at a hundred percent. We're probably going to end up at 30% or maybe even a little lower. Right. So we have those very honest conversations and I'll support them in whatever they need to do. But educate and coach them that, you know, those big increases in those stress goals, you have to like stretch yourself too. There's some personal development, there's education, there's activities, you know, there's things that have to launch you to that next level. And if they don't have the time to dedicate to it this year, then let's, let's bring it back down to maybe more of a a past indication goal, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. Very helpful. Thank you. So I think that probably bridges pretty nicely into the next thing I want to talk about, which is meetings, <laughs> because yeah. you've mentioned meetings quite a few times today. And I think that all of the management that you're really talking about in terms of goals and tracking progress requires um, those, it requires communication, right? It requires those constant check-ins with people um, so that they don't feel overly managed, but that they feel supported and that you feel like your, your business is going in the direction that you want it to go. So can you talk us through how you structure the meetings uh, that you have with your team members on a weekly basis? Yeah. So the, the two big meetings I already talked about was our, our leadership meeting. That's, that's 90 minutes and it's the scorecard review. Um, and then some um, problem solving as well as the two main components for it um, in our sales meeting. And it's actually on all hands. My support staff sits on, on that too. It's scorecard review. Um, we do some kind of just basic company reporting. And then we also do brainstorming and problem solving in there too. Um, and then on like a one-on-one basis, um, it, it really depends on the person. So I have some people on my team who really want, and we, we kind of think of them more as coaching sessions, but really want like a weekly coaching session. So my support team really likes their weekly coaching sessions because they have so many projects and so many different things that they're juggling. They like to have somebody to sit there and bounce ideas off of and be like, okay, which might be my priority this week? Or I think I'm going to handle it this way. So those meetings we do on a weekly basis and they're just problem solving. So we don't get into metrics or anything like that. And they're about 15 to 30 minutes. 
Um, the sales team likes to be a little bit more hands-off. So they might, they typically come in once a month. Um, same thing, 15 to 30 minutes. And with them, we do check in and see where they are on their scorecard and progress to their goals. And then we do a little bit of problem solving. So again, that on track, off track methodology, if, you know, new leads is off track, let's just spend our 30 minutes today talking about how to solve that metric. So. Gotcha. Can you tell us about an especially productive team meeting or, or one-on-one meeting that you've had recently? Um, I mean, our leadership meetings are, since we instituted them, they're the most productive thing that we do every week. Um, so it's, it's the head, it's the department head for each of our major departments. Um, and then me sitting in as the CEO too. So we have sales, marketing and ops. And it's really interesting because like any company our each department has a very different, um, scope that they're seeing the business through. And, and also like getting some outside eyes on maybe we're, you know, recently we were having, um, a problem where we're looking at our pipeline and we're like, wow, we just closed a lot of deals, which is awesome. But our pipeline doesn't look so great right now. And sometimes having that outside perspective from like an ops person or marketing that's not sitting in sales day to day, you really, we've come up with some very creative solutions um, that we can institute quickly. Or like, you know, my ops manager might jump in and say, Hey, you know, maybe I can sit with our sales admin and I can pull a list of all the prospective clients that we talked to over the last three months and we can start a sales campaign of reaching back out to them, which is something we just did and worked. Um, and it just literally took that meeting of us brainstorming together to solve that problem. So that's been by far the, the most productive meeting that we have. Awesome. Um, I'd like to circle back uh, to, to the idea of how your outlook on goal setting and tracking progress has changed over the years um, before we start to wrap up here. Because one theme that I have kind of uncovered in the process of doing this podcast is how business owners, entrepreneurs' identities change as they learn new things about their businesses and as they learn new things about themselves and their relationships to their businesses. And so I'm curious if you have experienced an identity shift or if you experienced even an identity crisis (laughs) as you kind of took on new roles in your company and as you, um, as you did become more analytical, as you did become more focused, um, and, uh, you know, took that on as, um, sort of took that on as, as a leadership quality, as opposed to maybe how you ran your business when you were first getting started. Yeah, no. And I totally have, I have had those. And that's, I mean, it's an interesting insight. It's, I've never thought of it that way, but it's, very true. So when I, you know, when I started my first business, like I I very much thought of that business as an extension of myself. Like it was my identity. Right. And there was this very big personal tie to it. Um, and even when I started this business with trans world, there was still a personal tie, but it was less so. And the, the more and more I've grown as a leader, I've started to look at it as like my, my business is just my job. My job is to take care of this business. This business is not me right? So separating the business from my actual identity. Um, And then really my leadership role too, what's changed a lot is 
you know, everybody, I think it, when, when, I, at least when I wanted to become an entrepreneur, I'm like, I want to be the leader. I want to be the owner. I want to be the CEO just because of the title. Right. Mm-hmm. But what I've learned as CEO, my job really is a hundred percent support. So it doesn't matter what projects that I'm doing. If I'm not supporting my team and giving them the time and effort they need from me to solve their problems, remove obstacles that they're facing, I'm not doing my job. Like my job is a hundred percent support. And that's been a total mindset shift from my previous business. And even the first few years in this business. Wow. That is, I think really, really helpful. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the thing that happens where we, we look at our businesses as an extension of us. Um, and I know on your website, you've got a little video. And at, at one point you say um, that women especially have this challenge. And I see this in the people that I work with and the community members that we have as well, that women tend to look at their businesses as extensions of themselves, as part of who they are, as their baby, um, as you say. Um, I'm curious how you coach the leaders, the the founders that you have invested in, how you coach them through this change, or maybe it's something that they haven't dealt with. But can you speak a little to that, how you work with other entrepreneurs around this idea? Yeah. So, I mean, I think everybody deals with it, right? So um, the things that I try and, and get through to them is, is one, a business is an asset. It's a financial asset, right? And And being in the position that I'm in now is that, you know, being an asset, you have to sell it at some point, right? So if you have to sell this business, then it it can't be your baby or a part of you, right? Because you're going to go through a huge identity crisis and even depression, which is something I personally experienced when I sold my first business. So Mm -hmm. I try and share that story with them of like, you know, this, this thing is you're building it, but you're building it to, to leave it at some point and walk away totally. It's not like the analogy of your child going off to college, like you're severing pretty much all connection at some point with this thing. Um, so being, being just having that frank conversation of saying like, it's, it's not your baby, it's not your project, it's not you, you're, you know, it's, it's a financial asset and its main purpose is to produce income for you and your family And then, you know, potentially retirement income when you sell it and things like that. Um, And I I think, you know, any any message you're trying to get across when you're working with others, sharing that personal story. So being really vulnerable and honest about what I went through when I sold my first company because of that emotional connection, I think really opens up um, some of the entrepreneur's eyes of like, this is what could happen if you continue to connect yourself to this business. Mm, I love that. Uh, What are you working on next? Um, you know, so we just launched a podcast, which I was telling you about, um, to Mm -hmm. talk to people about how to buy and sell businesses. It's called the deal board. Um, and then, you know, we, we developed a prep to sell program. So what we do is we help people get ready to sell their companies in the next one to two years. So we beta tested that for the last couple of years and just launched it this year, um, late this year. So I'm working on in 2019, really launching that program and even launching an online component to it too. So people could work with us virtually as well. Awesome. When is the right time for someone to start thinking about selling their company? Like when should we yeah. look into this prep to sell program? Yeah. So it's funny. A lot of people tell you like, begin with the end in mind and start from day one. But to be honest, like it's just, it's not in your mind when you're starting a business, all you're focused on is getting the company off the ground, launching it, making it profitable. So I usually tell people, if you give yourself at least a year before putting the business on the market, 
you can do some things that can increase the value of your company and also make the deal more likely to close. So at, at least a year, some people will say three to five years. Sometimes that's too far out though. Like you don't know what the mm. market is going to do. And, and like right now we're, you know, everyone knows we're at the top of the market. So the economy could change in the next three to five years. So any prep work you could do, it, it might not have the same effect in three to five years. So I say like one to two years is probably a fair amount of time. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And yeah. uh, we'll, we'll let everyone know where to, to check out the podcast and the program. Um, but Jessica Fiakovich, this has been a fascinating conversation. I just really appreciate you pulling back the curtain on how you guys set goals and track your progress. Thank you so much, Tara. It was great being on. Find out more about Jessica Fiakovich at jessicafiakovich.com. And you can find her podcast, The Deal Board, wherever you enjoy what works. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind the scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Medias and edited by Marty Seafelt. Kristen Runvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work.